So this is the Israel Connection coming to you on JR Community Radio, broadcasting live on 88FM and streaming over the internet at j-air.com.au. Happy New Year to all my listeners. This is my first new program for 2024. My name is David Schulberg and I'm looking forward to continuing to bring you many more episodes of this weekly radio program that provides analysis and insight with important interviews and discussion about Israel. And my first guest today is going to be Dr. Michael Kelly, one of the founders of the organisation Labour Friends for Israel. I need to get him on the line. But to start off with, uh, yesterday I managed to organise an interview with Senator David Pocock, an independent senator in the ACT. Senator Pocock is pushing for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and believes that the case being pushed by South Africa against Israel's war in Gaza in the International Court of Justice amounts to genocide, and it is therefore legitimate. I don't have time to play the full interview with Senator Pocock, but I will put the full interview with the Senator onto my podcast page at Omni Studio and on the J website. Here is a part of it. Wouldn't you uh, say that the way that uh, Hamas has gone about its attack on October the 7th and the way it uh, it professes it's wanting to do this uh, repeatedly until... Uh, Israel is, is destroyed. This is really uh, genocide, but uh, we're not seeing Hamas uh, being drawn before any court because Hamas uh, gets off uh, scot-free because Hamas is not a state. They're um, essentially a terrorist organisation. So uh, their genocidal ambitions uh, are never being really seriously uh, tackled and, and uh, exposed for what what they are. I'll, I'll continue to call out their brutal terrorist attacks and I think early on in this conflict there was fairly broad acceptance that states are allowed to defend themselves but as this goes on and we see the the death toll mount and we hear stories of over a thousand children having limbs amputated we have to be looking for a for a way out of this and we have to be calling out the sort of war that creates those casualties of of women and children and some of the really you know distressing uh reports when it when it comes to medical personnel and even journalists losing their lives in this being killed yeah these these are the the casualties which are put out by um the Hamas Ministry of Health, and uh, if only looks at uh, previous uh, wars that have gone on between Israel and Gaza, the uh, the numbers that they're putting out uh, were not really uh, found to, to to be factual once the, uh, the the dust settled on the previous conflicts, and one saw really what uh, amounted from the war in terms of the casualties. So they're really out to appeal to the Western uh, media by trying to highlight uh, that the situation in Gaza is as dreadful as it possibly can be, and they have been even doing things uh, where they've killed their own people who were trying to uh, escape from certain zones where they might have been uh, wanting them to remain as, as human shields, so that uh, we can't really rely on the information that's uh, coming across us. So why do we take that uh, on face value? Well, the casualty numbers I've been going off of are published by the United Nations 
Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. And having consulted with humanitarian organizations like Save the Children and uh, Medicines Sons Frontier, who are working in Gaza, and they've reviewed the, the, the casualty numbers released by the Ministry of Health, who, who you rightly point out are, are controlled by Hamas. They've looked at the, the numbers they've released over time from other periods of active conflict in Gaza, and have found them to be broadly broadly accurate. So yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the current figure of 25,000 is probably broadly accurate. When they say 25,000, they receive, say, 25,000 uh, civilians, but uh, uh, Israel uh, would contend that we're probably close to 10,000 of those uh, would be connected with Hamas. But Hamas never uh, ne- never discloses that because they want to make it as though everybody who's been killed is just a poor, innocent civilian who uh, who mm-hmm. has no evil intents uh, whatsoever. Sure. I, I, I... So you've been hearing... Uh... Part of the interview I did with Senator David Pocock yesterday, and uh, you can hear the whole of it uh, on my podcast page as I indicated before. Now I'm going to introduce my first guest today, Dr. Michael Kelly, who's a former Labor Minister who is leading a new push to counter misguided attitudes towards Israel from people who claim to be progressive, as he says, including blaming the nation for collective punishment of Palestinians and vowing to support pro-Israel ALP candidates running for parliament. Uh, Welcome. Just put your uh, microphone on there. Mike, it's good to have you on the show. G'day, David. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, I hope you are as well. Now, Michael, can you please tell us what is this newly formed organisation, Labour Friends of Israel, which is led by yourself, uh, former Federal Minister and uh, former New South Wales Treasurer, Eric Rusendahl? Yes, thanks very much, David. Look, um, basically, Labour Friends of Israel is a, a national gathering of uh, former sort of uh, respective state groups that uh, were already engaged in these sort of activities. But... Uh, obviously, in the context of the current conflict, we felt there was a need uh, for us to really get more active and uh, more uh, energetic across the nation as a whole. So effectively, we've got three main objectives, and that is, you know, in the disturbing context of what we've seen going on around the country and rising anti-Semitism and the behaviour of some of these pro-Hamas demonstrators, uh, that we want to promote social cohesion in Australia, respectful dialogue and respect for the rule of law. Uh, secondly, we want to be involved in the policy discussion to assist the federal government to formulate policy that you know is actually going to create the right effect uh, to be a contribution to the peace process and be well informed. And thirdly, we hope to provide resources for media, for um, people in the labour movement and uh, the broader public to ensure that they're well informed and have access to proper information and reliable statistics and uh, genuine uh, uh, legal um, uh, definition and uh, interpretation of what's going on, uh, unlike what uh, you know obviously emerged in that interview you just had. <laughs> yes, I was going to allude to that as well. The people taking uh, information straight out of uh, 
Hamas's uh, Ministry of Health or Ministry of Propaganda, whatever you want to call it, and and mm. and professing it's the uh, the truth, and then saying, well, it's it is actually corroborated by uh, UN organisations and, um, uh, and and organisations like Médecins uh, Sans Frontières in uh, in Gaza. But of course, these organisations can't open their mouths uh, and say anything, which is contrary to what Hamas uh, would wish, without uh, putting themselves at great risk. Totally, David, and you know, no one will have an accurate figure on um, civilian casualties in Gaza. No one is on the ground with the capability to do that. And uh, we know that Hamas is a terrorist organisation who builds its whole approach to everything on the usual terrorist organisation approach to propaganda. And we all know the truth of what happened on October the 7th, but Hamas has been out there denying now those events and uh, trying to muddy the waters and claim no civilians were killed. So we know that they'll lie through their teeth about things like that. Why would we believe them uh, in relation to anything they had to say? But as you indicated, there are, according to Hamas itself, something like 60,000 combatants in the Gaza Strip of both Islamic Jihad and, uh, and Hamas. Is Hamas telling us that not one single combatant uh, of those fighters ha has been killed so far. That's ridiculous. And, of course, it's not the case. So, and, and apart from that, another factor that's not well understood is that Hamas and Islamic Jihad cause a lot of casualties on their own because of the consistent failure of their rockets and the misfires that they have. And they've fired well over 10,000 rockets at Israel, which in itself is a war crime because that's an indiscriminate uh, weapon. And of those, more than 2,000 have misfired so far. So the Al Ali hospital incident, which was broadcast internationally as being a, uh, something caused by Israel, was in fact caused by uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And those casualty figures, Hamas includes in its civilian casualty list. And on top of that, um, Hamas is regularly engaged in killing its own people uh, who they suspect of cooperating with the IDF or uh, who they tried to de deter from following evacuation um, uh, requests uh, and warnings. And also when they're looting um, humanitarian relief supplies, they open fire on Gazans uh, attempting to get access to those supplies. So and all of these figures, they, they're rolled into this global um you know, fantasy figure, which effectively they wouldn't know anyway, even if they were trying to create accurate figures. And they seem to be just adding another thousand every day. Uh, and there's been many studies to show how broadly uh, false they have been in relation to their, their tallies. So no one should rely on those figures. Well, what we're seeing is the horrors of war and effectively what you would see in, an, in a historic urban conflict of this scale against the scale and and uh, and the uh, capability of, of, of an enemy like Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Yes, all, all, all too true. Just going back to this uh, organisation that you've formed, which uh, you have a website that people can go to to uh, get more uh, acquainted with what you're uh, planning to achieve... Are you linked with the UK counterpart, which is known by the same name, Labour Friends of Israel? Yes, um, we've always over many years had great contact with them and um, myself and many others who have been involved in uh, 
and the support for Israel group within Labor have uh, travelled to to the UK or met them in Israel or met them here. So those bonds have uh, been there for some time now, and we hope to work together. Also, um, I sent an email to Michael Borowick uh, from Australia-Israel Labor Dialogue, who I interviewed uh, last year, and I wrote to him, no doubt you'll be aware of uh, an article in The Australian, which is what announced uh, your coming of age, uh, ALP needs progressive correction, say former Labor ministers. And uh, I indicated to him that this is a new organisation, Labor Friends of Israel, that's been formed. And how does this dovetail with the Australia-Israel Labor Dialogue? Well, when I asked Michael, he had no idea. Maybe you can suggest how you're going to uh, uh, cooperate or associate with the Australia-Israel Labor Dialogue. Uh Yeah, look, um, there's been many groups, as I mentioned before, that have been active, doing various and different things. So many groups uh, will engage with particular parts of the labour movement or particular parts of the community and involved in activities that focus on specific things like organising and facilitating people visiting Israel so they're properly informed uh, and get the chance to meet with, you know, Palestinian groups, Druze groups, Israeli groups, etc. Those activities have been going on for some time and Michael's been doing a great job with that. Um, but uh, what this group will seek to do is to provide a national umbrella organisation that really harnesses uh, the best quality uh, people and intellectual horsepower that's available in the movement and to begin the work at a very, very wide-scale grassroots level and hopefully through that too to inform the broader community. So it'll have elements to it that are like a think tank and others that are organisational and others that uh, uh, will seek to be a, a ready resource for the media to go to when they seek comment on issues. And so we've seen some of that happen already. And those are things that some of these other uh, groupings haven't been equipped or, or intended to do uh, previously. So uh, because we're new and we've been you know, formed on the run a little bit to um, answer the call in relation to this current conflict and the massive disinformation that's circulating out there, um, obviously, you know, it, it'll take some time for us to work out how we're all going to work together with the existing groups and, and individuals out there, but, but we will be doing that. Yeah, I would hope that you would have a little bit more muscle than Australian-Israel Labor Dialogue uh, has. Uh, they're uh, certainly good in promoting... Uh, uh, conversation and discussion but uh, in terms of hitting hard I don't know whether they have that ability how do you view the way that the federal Labor government has been handling the issue of the Israel-Gaza war do you want to give us your view on that please uh, Michael yeah obviously it's been a uh, really testing time where there is a a difference of views within the the caucus uh, federally and also, you know, that we've seen um, issues emerge state by state differently played out. Uh, but what we seek to do is actually promote a constructive dialogue um, amongst the different people with the different views within the caucus, um, because a lot of these views are not formed on the basis of having access to good quality information or have ever been on the ground. Um, and uh, there tends to be a bit of a sort of a factional divide on some of it. Uh, historically, 
So, you know, what we want to do is to make sure that we're encouraging the government to develop policy that seeks a positive outcome. We want to be the adults in the room here, not just run screaming into the street because it's the latest fad or fashion or or because it's thought to be, you know, a progressive issue. Um, as I've said uh, at Labor conferences, that a social democratic progressive party has absolutely no business getting behind a medieval Islamist extremist organisation like Hamas that doesn't allow free trade unions, doesn't allow elections, routinely executes LGBTQI people. Um, there is no such thing as women's rights in, in you know, the Gaza Strip. Um, they routinely torture and execute their own people, uh, dismantle all the elements that we'd been building as an international community to try and create um, the, the criteria and capability for a Palestinian state. All of that dismantled by Hamas. There's absolutely no reason why a progressive social democrat party should have anything to do uh, with supporting an organisation like Hamas. So this is something that you have to engage with the labour movement broadly on, with the trade unions, with uh, all of the uh, the branch members and with the members of parliament uh, to achieve an outcome of good policy. And we want to point people in the right direction of what will actually contribute to reinvigorating the peace process here with eyes wide open, understand what the actual impediments to that peace process are. Uh, for example, that the Palestinian Authority haven't been able to form a unity government because Hamas won't cooperate with them because they don't accept Israel's right to exist. They won't sign up to the quartet principles of recognising Israel, of renouncing violence and of accepting agreements that have already been entered into. So you don't have a partner for peace that's unified on the Palestinian side and there's going to be no progress made unless governments in the world put more pressure on the Palestinian side to get its house in order and that's really what this war is now all about in removing one of those major impediments with eliminating Hamas's domination of the Gaza Strip. So getting the, the Labor government to adopt policy which... Uh, they have done in terms of condemning Hamas and understanding that Israel is exercising its right of self-defence and should be allowed to prosecute that self-defence uh, and eliminate Hamas from the Gaza Strip. That is fully uh, accepted and is part of the current government's policy, uh, where I think, um, and of course calls for restraint, we have no problem with in terms of the fact that that's what the ADF would seek to do. The laws of armed conflict actually allows for far greater um, civilian casualties than I think most people would imagine in the context of legitimate targeting. But what we often try to do in the Australian Defence Forces go beyond the constraints of the laws of armed conflict where we can. And so that's, I think, legitimate to look to Israel and suggest that they try and conduct things, operations that way as well. But um, we'd like to see the balance in the commentary uh, from the government to continue in relation to Hamas's ongoing war crimes, its continuing firing of rockets, its continuing holding of hostages, which is a war crime, the murder of hostages, which is a war crime, the rape that's gone on, which is a war crime, and to... Um, really emphasise too that Gazans need to be freed from the tyranny of Hamas as well. So we need a balanced um, commentary from the government. We need them to be 
providing positive suggestions and contributions on how we move the peace process forward from here with a recognition that there will obviously have to be compromise on the Israeli side as well uh, to achieve a, you know, a, a, an ultimate peace agreement um, with all matters resolved. So, you know, these are complex issues, um, uh, but we'll continue to encourage the government to, um, to call out Hamas and to uh, support Israel in, its, in prosecuting this war of self-defence. I mean, if Hamas had been a state, they would have also been guilty of the war crime of conducting a war of aggression. So um, people need to understand this and not uh, try and whitewash what's happened. And one of the uh, hallmarks of, uh, of your policy platform is that you support a two-state solution. So uh, what do you have to say about Netanyahu's adamant stance opposing the establishment of a Palestinian state at this time? It's been very interesting uh, to see the results of one of the latest opinion polls in Israel. Um, and we know that there's great shock and trauma in the community and a bit of a reluctance to even think about what happens with the day after. But they are actually um, receptive to coming back to the, the two-state solution uh, when the dust settles here, obviously with a even more amplified need to be reassured about the security elements of, of any new peace process. Um, but also alongside that has been a absolute loss of faith in, in Prime Minister Netanyahu in, the, in those polls. And um, the security circumstances by which October the 7th occurred will absolutely no doubt be the subject of a very detailed commission of inquiry at some point, probably in the not too distant future, as has always happened in Israel's history. And, you know, I think there's probably going to be quite some reckoning about that. Um, and there's, I, I think, no doubt that, uh, that Prime Minister Netanyahu will, um, will, will find it unsustainable to continue in office in those circumstances, as been historically the case as well. I think what we would hope would be that there'd be a national unity government formed um, and that that national unity government will be able to push forward to remediate the security deficiencies that are revealed and to engage constructively uh, in um, dialogue over reinvigorating the peace process and recommitting to the two-state solution because I think uh, we would all appreciate and have to acknowledge that there's absolutely no future in Israel trying to absorb the West Bank and Gaza Strip. That's just completely unsustainable. That would be destroying the state of Israel from within. Um, so at the moment, uh, what we need to do is make sure that we maintain that commitment, but with eyes wide open about the security measures that would need to be put in place uh, if it were to happen. Yes, there's no uh, chance of a Palestinian state that sits where Gaza is now or on the West Bank uh, having uh, its own uh, control of uh, those areas. Israel is maintaining that they can't have that full sovereignty. They will need, Israel will need to maintain a security presence in, in both those areas and that obviously is uh, quite galling for, uh, for Palestinians who want to see themselves uh, having a state which is like every other state with its own uh, separate uh, identity like uh, like a, a normal state has but in this case it seems extremely unlikely that Israel would allow that to happen and quite rightly I mean it's not 
that we're saying that that has to be forever the case. But while ever you know, this sort of threat, this sort of risk remains, and while ever we see a situation where Palestinian school kids are still being indoctrinated in racial hatred and in the glorification of terrorism, um, you know, we have to see new generations grow that will be wedded to the idea of living in peace. And I'm a very big fan of the Olmert plan. I think that's probably the only plan that could uh, result in a successful outcome. And even with that plan, which involved territorial compromises uh, that would see uh, the major settlements near Jerusalem become suburbs of, of, uh, of Jerusalem under Israel and uh, uh, and then some compromises being made to uh, extend Palestine, to create the equivalent of a, the 67 borders in terms of scale um, with territorial compromises. But even with those elements and uh, with compromises around how the, the Holy Basin would get managed and things like that, um, the Olmert plan included security requirements such as a security force along the Palestinian border and um, the denial of a, of a formal um, military organisation for the Palestinians. Police force, yes, but military, no. Um, the prohibition of them entering into military agreements with states hostile to, to Israel and a denial of the presence of any uh, foreign military forces in Palestinian territory. So those security elements have been a common feature of every peace negotiation and discussion up until now, and they haven't been the uh, the key sticking points. Uh, the key sticking points have been, as we know, have been a Palestinian leadership refusal to uh, to accept arrangements around the right of return, uh, you know, being dispensed with, and uh, and also just saying yes sometimes. So if we could uh, discuss the day after and the two-state solution and various uh, uh, forms in which it could take. I want to bring things back to uh, the, our situation here in Australia and what's emerged today. You've probably been or heard on the news that this, the Victorian government signed a memorandum of understanding with Israel's defence industries back in uh, Defence Ministry, in fact, in December 2022, the government says the agreement aims to identify projects that could yield manufacturing and job opportunities between the two countries. However, anti-Israel commentators say the agreement is unusual for a state government and should raise alarm bells given the ongoing conflict in Gaza. You being a former Defence Minister, um, if you were out there in fully-fledged mode, with Labor Friends of Israel, what would you be saying about this attempt to quash potential economic and trade opportunities for the state of Victoria? Well, we just have to, have to understand that Israel's an actual ally of ours, and always has been. You know, my family were looked after by the Yeshuv in in, uh, in Israel through the First World War and the Second World War. They formed units that fought with us, going all the way back to Gallipoli, they advised us and have provided us with information that's prevented terrorist attacks in Australia. Their enemies are our enemies. Um, the rectangle of ratbags, as I call them, Russia, Iran, China and North Korea, we're all collaborating, producing Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis and um, the threats to world peace and the threats to democracy are all the same enemies. And so you have to decide out there, you know, in the Australian community, whose side do you want? You know, uh, Russia, Iran, China and North Korea or 
know Israel here in the West um, and our values. So it's in our interest to cooperate from a security point of view. When I was the, um, the Minister for uh, Defence Materiel during that time in our government, we'd entered into multiple agreements over uh, the contributions of, of the capabilities that really help people, our people, members of the ADF alive and successful in surviving in Afghanistan through uh, unmanned aerial vehicles to their combat ba- helmets and uh, and, and uh, bandages, you know, all kinds of um, material that, that have been useful. And that collaboration should continue so that we can always be able to successfully confront the common enemy. It also has... Uh a potential impact upon uh, our economy and we've also seen uh, the, the, the protests about the arrival of the ship from the shipping liner Zim at the port of Melbourne that uh, has led already to significant financial losses impacting the port and the people of Victoria and Australia. Um, we need to be doing it more, I believe, to stem these anti-Israel protests that are harming our economy. The police only came in and uh, carried out efforts to arrest and disband the protests uh, only a few days after it had already been in place. Oh, there's been so much of these activities has been disgraceful and if there's ever been anything you could call on Australian, they've been demonstrating it, you know, like interrupting Christmas carols, uh, harassing hostage families. That's just so disgusting to see in this country. But uh, there's n- never really been two countries who've got more mutual interest economically than Israel and Australia. We share, you know, issues around water conservation, issues around agriculture in, uh, you know, semi-arid and arid landscapes, um, and making that profitable. The the example that Israel set um, in this new technological world and creating the startup nation that they have. And I've spent a lot of time travelling to Israel and, and engaging with discussions on those very issues, um, how we can mutually collaborate, collaborate on agri-tech and those sorts of issues and water conservation. Um, so there's so much that we can achieve together. Um, that relationship only needs to be amplified and accelerated, in my view. Just to finish up with you, Michael, I want to uh, give you the chance to tell us about the, the launch that uh, is going to happen officially in March of uh, the... Uh, Labor Friends of Israel. Uh, your article came out in the Australian, as I mentioned earlier in this interview, telling us about your organisation, uh, where you want to see a civilised and informed debate on Middle East issues. Have you got any other names that you can mention at this stage, or you want to keep that under wraps until we uh, hit the launch in March? Well, yeah, we'll have exciting news about who the uh, the patrons of the uh, organisation will be, um, and we're really delighted uh, about the quality of people that are getting involved. Uh, I had so many people reach out to me who want to fight this battle uh, in the union movement, for example. The Socialist Alliance is looking to try and uh, use this issue to, to try and take over the union movement. So that there's a lot going on with uh, hidden agendas all over the place here that... Um, people want to fight. So, um, you know, and a lot of intellectual horsepower is on board as well. And people that you will know, like Nick Dorenfirth and then Michael Eason and Mary Eason, there's, there's a lot of fantastic people involved in this who are going to really make a good contribution to sound, reasonable, rational debate. Well, I look forward to uh, announcing the uh, 
the date of when that is happening and uh, I'm also keen to know at some stage uh, an assessment of the Labor's parliamentary ranks to know who's on one side and who's on the other side. Uh, it can't be necessarily the, the left versus the right. I don't think it's as, as distinctive as that, but uh, certainly uh, I've been aware of some members of the Labor Party who are supportive and some who are not. But we'll, uh, we, we get to find that out as uh, the war progresses. Thanks very much for talking to us today, Michael, and I uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch with you. No worries, David. It was a real pleasure, and thanks very much for contributing to getting the facts out there. <laughs> yes, always keen to do that. <laughs> Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. So that was uh, Dr. Michael Kelly, uh, who is uh, one of the main founders of Labor Friends of Israel. And just before we go to our next guest, uh, let's listen to a bit of music while I get uh, him on the line. So I'm back here in the studio and I'm about to introduce my next guest who is Andrew Wallace, the Liberal National Party MP for the seat of Fisher on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. Andrew visited the Israeli massacre sites in southern Israel as part of a parliamentary delegation in early December in the aftermath of the Hamas-led terrorist attack and has slammed Foreign Minister Penny Wong for not stopping in at the destroyed areas during her trip to the region. Welcome to the Israel Connection, Andrew. Thanks very much, David. Great to be with you all. Well, it's a real uh, pleasure indeed, and I thank you very much for, for joining us today on, on the show. Can you please tell us, Andrew, why was it so important for Penny Wong to have visited southern Israel to see for herself the extent of the atrocity that Hamas inflicted on Israelis? Well, Penny Wong is, of course, Australia's foreign minister. She is our most senior diplomat. Um, she travelled to the Middle East. Uh, she travelled to Israel. She went and visited uh, Israeli uh, politicians. She went to uh, the Palestinian Authority. She visited uh, uh, neighbouring countries. Um in an effort to try and, um, uh, as I understand it, to assure uh, the Middle Eastern countries that Australia was looking to play a part uh, uh, to resolve the dispute in a peaceful manner. And I believe very strongly that you can't really fully appreciate the, the, the depth of despair that Israelis are going through right now as a result of October 7, unless you visited where the war started. And the war started in the south on the 7th of October uh, in towns like Sarot, in various kibbutzes like Kfar Azar, that I had the, um, look, I won't say um, privilege of attending. It was a privilege, but it was a, 
it's something that will never leave me. The, the sights and the smells and the sounds uh, of what I uh, encountered back in December last year. Um, and I feel very strongly that unless Penny Wong visited those sites and not just spoke with people in Tel Aviv, um, but actually got out to the sites and saw firsthand with her own eyes the the sheer barbarity that took place on October 7, then she was really willfully blind uh, about how the war started, why it started. And, you know, when you're in negotiations, peace negotiations with other people, other countries, I, I just don't believe you can do that and fulfil your role um, uh, as honestly and transparently and effectively, um, not just for the people of Israel, but for Jewish people around the world, um, unless you have experienced and been there on the ground and seen what happened on October 7. Well, when she did go to Israel, she uh, did visit uh, Yad Vashem, the, uh, the Holocaust Museum there, which is kind of mandatory. If she wouldn't have gone there, that would have all hell would have uh, broken loose. Uh, I think cynically she uh, she she wore uh, blue and white when she went to the to Yad Vashem, but then uh, after that she went to to visit somebody in the West Bank to talk about settler violence, and she was wearing uh, different colours. So uh, she's playing it all uh, very very carefully. That's that's quite quite evident. You've well, uh, <laughs> a friend to all is a friend to none, uh, as the saying goes, uh, particularly at the moment. And you, you just, when you really uh, are able to appreciate what happened on October 7, and that I talked about the sheer barbarity. Uh, I, before I went to Israel, I had a briefing by the Israeli ambassador to Australia, and he showed us the, the members of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, which I, I'm the deputy chair of, he showed us that 42-minute video of the body cam of the terrorists uh, and the Hamas terrorists. And, um, you know, that was, that was uh, very, very confronting, that, and that was in a video format. Um, but then to, to back that up and actually go to the sites. Um, this federal government is trying to walk both sides of the fence, they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. And um, I think we need to call that out. Uh, you know, they, they say, oh, well, you know, we're friends of Israel and we stand with Israel. But do they really? I mean, that's not, uh, in my view, they are not demonstrating appropriate support for Israel um, or, or for Ukraine for that matter. Yeah, I think uh, we, uh, we can definitely agree on that and uh, we can actually bring it into the Australian context as well to see uh, uh, where there's failures in terms of recognising what's uh, the impact on the Jewish community here. You've, you've written an article titled Albanese's Doctrine of Willful Blindness on Israel and you've been uh, published, that was published a week ago in the Israeli national free daily newspaper Israel Hayom. You contend that not since the days of former Labor MP Gough Whitlam has an Australian government been so reckless, witless and gutless in its foreign policy? Do you want to uh, elaborate on, on, on what you uh, think as far as 
Labor's policy is concerned on Israel? Well, I, I, I think I have pretty much already said <laughs> what I've said, David. Um, uh, I, I, I do believe that. I think that they are in the same way that they are, uh, they are that this Labor government is not supporting the people of Ukraine, nor are they supporting the people of Israel. Um, you know, we have a very, very strong uh, Jewish diaspora here in Australia, um, and I, I think uh, uh, people of uh, of uh, Jewish background should be very concerned that uh, th- their federal government and their state governments are not doing enough to crack down on anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, we are seeing a very ugly side of Australia right now, and it is it is absolutely uh, uh, unacceptable that governments, both federal and state and local, are turning a blind eye to the sort of anti-Semitism that we are seeing creeping back into uh, into the, the Western world. Now, you know, after the Holocaust, we said never again. Uh, well, um, it's happening again, and we need to be calling that out, and we need to be stamping it out. Uh, we the last thing when I mean, the, the Holocaust occurred because good people did nothing um, in Europe, and um, these things are slippery slopes. And the, the last thing in the world we want to see happen again is uh, you know that sort of um, uh, mass anti-Semitism leading to death and destruction. As you've mentioned, you are the Deputy Chair of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security. In that role that you have there, are you lobbying for uh, the Houthis and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps to be labelled as terrorist organisations under the Criminal Code Act 1995? Yeah, look, we've certainly had discussions around um, the Islamic, uh, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps as being um, listed as a terrorist organisation. The advice that has come back to us is that um, because it is a uh, so closely affiliated to the Iranian government, that um, the current legislation would not allow us to be um, to, to list it as a terrorist organisation. Now, we have indicated that we're prepared to support any amendments to the, the criminal code that would bring that into effect, um, but we are still in discussion with, um, with our Labor counterparts and the Attorney-General about that. Well, I hope that proceeds. Uh, it's quite interesting here because uh, apparently... Uh we have all parties would be in support of this because the Greens have also declared that they want to see uh, the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps in Iran, uh, prescribed as a terrorist organisation. So you even have the Greens on your side. Well, <laughs> that always worries me, David, when... Uh, when <laughs> that, 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 I think that's a cause for concern. But anyway, it's probably a question for another day. <laughs> Yeah, it worries me a bit too, I can tell you. Now, you're also, uh, Andrew, you're also on the Federal Parliament's uh, Defence Subcommittee. Now, I think you're probably aware of what's uh, come out today in the media, that the Victorian government 
signed a memorandum of understanding with Israel's Defence Ministry in December 2022, saying the agreement aims to identify projects that could yield manufacturing and job opportunities. However, we're seeing anti-Israel activists saying that the government that the agreement by the government is unusual for a state government and the, and should be raising alarm bells given the ongoing conflict in Gaza. Uh, what uh, what is the level of cooperation between Israel and Australia when it comes to defence? Well, there are there are many um, very uh, good. Israeli defence industry contractors. Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is Elbert. Um, now, uh, it is not unusual for a, a state government to enter into some form of an arrangement with a, a defence industry contractor. I can think of uh, another example, for example, for, uh, for instance, Queensland entered into an, an arrangement with Rheinmetall in Queensland to... Uh, uh, provide assistance to Rheinmetall to deliver on Land 400 Phase 2, um, which was the uh, infantry, uh, sorry, the combat reconnaissance vehicles. Um, so it's not unusual for state governments to um, in- enter into arrangements with defence industry contractors. Um, there are, uh, look, there are people who will do their level best to ensure and disrupt uh, our ports, for example, um, any is sort of Israeli company doesn't matter whether it's defence industry related or not. Uh, there are uh, people who are Palestinian sympathisers who will try and uh, disrupt um, any form of uh, organisation or business that uh, that comes from Israel. Yeah, well, that's uh, been happening as uh, as we know, and I just had um, Dr. Michael Kelly on uh, this show before uh, I brought you on and he's uh, forming an organisation Labour Friends of Israel he uh, was discussing this as well I was pointing out to him uh, we're seeing a hit to the Australian economy and uh, trade links coming out of these protests that are taking place and uh, unfortunately uh, the police don't seem to be taking uh, a strong enough hand in keeping these kinds of protests uh, under control and, and not uh, disrupting uh, the way things should be working in this country. Well, I think that's right. Um, I think we saw in the days immediately following uh, the 7th of October, uh, you know, those appalling uh, scenes of people standing on the steps of Sydney Opera House calling for Jews to be to be gassed. Uh, and standing right alongside them was the, the the good men and women of the New South Wales Police Force. Now, I don't criticise particular individual police officers, but, uh, you know, their leadership uh, should have uh, instructed their officers to, to crack down on that sort of conduct. It, it's, it is, uh, in my view, it is, um, it's hate speech, um, and, you know, it's certainly inciting violence. And, um, you know, the, the, the state government, state government and state police forces need to be enforcing the law. And if, if they believe the law is inadequate, then the laws should be amended to ensure that this sort of conduct doesn't uh, go on or persist. Um, you know, we, <laughs> the, the, the media have a lot to answer for, in my view, um, 
you know, the uh, I was in the, the United Nations uh, on October 7. I'd been seconded to the UN um, in New York when all of this was happening. And the immediately after October 7, there was a, a great outpouring uh, around the world for... Uh, for Israelis, for the Jewish people. Um, but that very quickly turned, um, as I suspected that it would. And and now we see a situation where, um, uh, you know, we have... I've had a demonstration at my own office. We're seeing uh, demonstrations at uh, lots of politicians' offices on the streets in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. Uh, and... Uh, you know, look, people have got a right to, to demonstrate peacefully, but uh, once they step over the line, uh, and some people have stepped over the line, then they should be they should be dealt with according to law. And there just doesn't seem to be that willingness uh, in some of our states, state police forces, to uh, enforce that law. It doesn't uh, seem to be, uh, well, for what what reasons one can only uh, surmise uh, they're not obviously wanting to get involved in uh, in uh, pitch battles but uh, I would have thought there'd be ways to uh, to manage things without uh, creating a huge amount of uh, friction I was interested you mentioned just as you were speaking about your own electorate uh, you're a little bit out of uh, the hot seats of uh, I think Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide is where a lot of the the mostly uh, the biggest uh, pro-Palestinian groups are located, but on the on the Sunshine Coast, uh, I just noticed that a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the um, groups organised uh, a kite flying event uh, down near Coolum Beach uh, to help make uh, make kites and uh, and do a lot of kind of solidarity stuff with with people who are concerned about what's going on in Gaza. I thought that was quite ironic, really, because uh, it was kites that were used by uh, Hamas uh, terrorists and their affiliates in Gaza to attack Israel, especially back in uh, the great uh, march that they conducted next to the wall, where they would launch kites into Israel with uh, inflammatory materials on the end of them to try and create uh, mass bushfires in Israel, and they were partially successful. So this is uh, one of the things that was taking place in your own electorate. Of course, it's uh, a legitimate activity, but I think it's quite uh, ironic when you realise uh, what those kites uh, signify when it comes to Gaza. Mm. Look, that that wasn't in my electorate. That's uh, to the north of my electorate. Okay. It's the Sunshine Coast uh, nonetheless, and I think it really just shows that, uh, you know, the, the, there is a, a, um, a strong... Um, uh, pro-Palestinian sentiment uh, around the country. But having said that, um, I, and I do respect people's right to have a different view to me, I respect their their right to demonstrate peacefully, um, I get uh, stopped in the street and uh, I get a lot more positive, supportive comments about my stand in support of Israel than I do uh, for people who have a different view. Okay, well, you're clearly in a slightly different area than uh, than some of us are here in in Melbourne. Of course, I, I live in uh, 
in what's called the the ghetto. This is where most of the uh, the Jewish community lives, and we have had uh, some people coming into uh, our area where we live. And there, there was a, an extraordinary event where uh, people were sitting on either side of the road in in close to where I, I live, um, shouting and screaming at each other after this uh, burger place uh, was burnt down. Mm. And uh, the police still haven't um, uh, charged anybody, I believe, over the uh, the fire that took place at Burger Tree uh, here in, in Caulfield in Melbourne. Wonder what's mm. going on. What's going on with that? The police seem to have uh, a lot of cases of uh, of arson on their hands at the moment, especially with uh, the all these tobacco shops that have been going up in flames. Indeed, I, I think that there is a what. What is very clear is that there is uh, a real law and order problem in Victoria, as there is in Queensland right now, particularly in relation to juveniles. But uh, uh, that's what happens when you when you have a state government or state governments that seem to be uh, unwilling to uh, uh, adapt with the times and ensure that uh, laws are enforced. Um, and, uh, you know, look, you know, we've, we've had a... Queensland has had a Labor government for, I think, uh, 26 years out of the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, they, they the Labor Party uh, have effectively... Um, They've installed all the judges, all the magistrates, um, and, uh, you know, we, we see a situation where often people are slapped over the back of the wrist and sent back out onto the streets. Uh, you know, I think there people, particularly in northern Queensland, I can tell you now, there, there are, people are sick to death of, uh, you know, the, the, the crime that's happening, on, and, I, and I understand that the similar sort of sentiment in Victoria at the moment as well. Now we're going to finish up in just a couple of minutes or so. You've spoken out in favour of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism. Now, this uh, definition of anti-Semitism seems to uh, be largely missing in action, uh, as we've seen following October 7, as we are witnessing a surge of unmitigated anti-Semitism across Australia. I'm extremely sceptical about uh, the usefulness of this now with where it hardly seems to be brought up in any kind of discussion. Do you believe that uh, the IRA working definition of anti-Semitism still will serve a useful purpose in Australia? Um, well, I think it's it's better to have it than not. Um, now, if we need to, to re-look at that, uh, you know, that's what we should be doing. But, um, uh, you know, we, we can have legal definitions and that's fine but i think what we need to be doing is looking at the, the culture of uh what's happening in australia and across the western world at the moment um and and that is that there's there is very clearly a march towards anti-semitism um and that's been uh developing in europe over the last few years uh it's now starting in in countries like the united states uh and and also in australia um, and we need to we need to stamp on this very very quickly. Yes, yeah, the uh, unfortunate thing about uh, IRA is that it uh, it doesn't have any uh, legal uh, muscle. It's just a guide, a set of guidelines, and it has been adopted uh, quite extensively. But um, what's happening after that? I think the main thrust of uh, the IRA working definition of anti-Semitism is through education. 
but we really need to see the adoptees of that, uh, which are many uh, governments, state governments in Australia and the federal government, doing something about it rather than just saying they adopted it and then, then just sitting on their hands doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's, it comes back down to culture uh, and it, it's a matter of, you know, evil happens when good people do nothing. Uh, I, I, I think it's, whilst it's helpful to have the definition uh, we, we, we're not going to change the world by um, having a, 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 a perhaps a reworked definition. We need to be constantly calling out poor behaviour as and when it arises. Um, and, uh, you know, it, people can do that. It's not just up to politicians. Uh, when people are on a bus and they see something or hear something that's that they think is... Uh, anti-Semitic, it's up to you know, reasonable people to jump up and say, hey, that's not on, that's that's unacceptable behaviour. Absolutely the case. Well, Andrew, I thank you very much for talking to me and my listeners on the Israel Connection and I wish you all the best for 2024 and good luck in your endeavours of uh, supporting uh, our community and, and uh, the difficult situation we find ourselves in at present. Thank you, David, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Goodbye. So that was uh, Andrew Wallace, MP. We'll see you next week. It's goodbye now from the Israel Connection. I leave you.